Welcome to the second ever edition of the LOL Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Miller, and I want to thank you for listening to the second edition. If you listen to the first edition, thanks for that as well. Now, before we get started, I want to let you know if you want to comment on the podcast, if you want to ask me a question, if you want to tell me I suck, you can call my Google Voice number at 480-427-0411 and leave a message. Or if you've got a lot of money and would like to sponsor the podcast, that would work as well. So again, 480-427-0411. You can find me on Twitter, at AZJoshM. You can comment to me there. Or you can send me an email, announceraz at cox.net. Now, before I do get into the content of today's podcast, I wanted to mention my man Topher White. He hosts his own show. It's called the One End Table on a Microphone Podcast, where he talks a lot about current events, pop culture, a lot of different topics. It's a really good show. You should really check it out. But I reached out to Topher before I started this podcast thing to get some insight into how to record things and where to upload it, and and really how to get started. And he gave me a lot of good advice, uh, a lot of good advice on hardware and software and things like that. So uh, thank you very much, Topher, and you guys, you really need to check out his podcast as well. So let's get on to the podcast today. We talk about sports here in Arizona, where I am located, and uh, we want to start off and talk about the LOL of the week. The LOL of the week is something that will just make you laugh out loud at an organization, an individual, somebody that's worthy of being laughed at. So this week's LOL is going to be the Arizona Diamondbacks. (laughs) The Arizona Diamondbacks haven't been playing very bad baseball. In fact, they're a game over 500 as of uh, taping this on Sunday evening, but their policies to address opposing fans caused me to laugh at them. You may remember in 2013 that the Diamondbacks had some controversy where they asked some Dodgers fans to change their clothes uh, during a game. These Dodgers fans happened to be sitting behind home plate where they'd be seen with every pitch, and they asked the individuals to quote, adhere to the policy of not wearing opposing team merchandise in the suite. Those fans were allowed to move elsewhere in the stadium or wear neutral colors or the team would provide them with Diamondbacks gear. Personally, I think that policy is a bit Bush League. You're a team that struggles for attendance and you're going to basically alienate fans because they're not wearing the right team's gear. Now, if I'm the Diamondbacks, I'm going to want anyone to show up to my games and spend money on concessions, beer, etc., especially on tickets, and not alienate people from coming to the games, despite what kind of clothing they wear. Now, the reason I'm bringing it up this week is is it did happen again in this past week. Uh, There was a fan who was seen on video changing from a Dodgers shirt or putting a Dimebacks jersey over a Dodgers shirt, I should say, who was sitting in that suite behind home plate. After this came out in the media, the Dimebacks were the butt of jokes. Uh, 
they came back with, I guess, a retraction or an excuse that basically said that uh, these people were joking with the people in the box and another fan gave them a jersey to change into in jest. So they also said that the fans are not required to change gear anymore, but they didn't clarify when they changed that policy. Now, maybe it's just me, but uh, if I'm joking around with a fan of another team, I don't think they're going to take my jersey and put it on. Most fans of their teams are pretty passionate about their teams, and they want to display that. So if I just say, hey, you probably shouldn't be wearing that. Here's my jersey. Put it on. I don't think that's going to happen. I really think the Diamondbacks are trying to cover their butts, not become jokes in the media as they have been, and they're putting out this supposedly false story to basically try to look better when they look like a joke. So, Diamondbacks, you're the LOL of the week. We're all going to laugh at you. (laughs) Now, the bulk of my podcast today is going to be an interview that I did earlier in the week with John Bloom. Uh, John is the Phoenix Suns radio host for the halftime and the postgame show. So he talked to me a bit about the Phoenix Suns season, gave me a lot of insight into the Suns. So I'm going to play that a little bit later. I want to talk briefly about some of the things that are going on in the Valley in sports. Uh, First of all, it's playoff time in both the NBA and the NHL. And once again, for the third consecutive year, none of the local teams will be playing. It seems it's been like a long time since we've had playoffs here in the Valley. The Coyotes uh, went to the Western Conference Finals in 2012. The Suns last were in the playoffs in 2010, so it's been several years. Uh, The Coyotes, as a matter of fact, had the second worst record in the NHL, and as is typical in Phoenix sports history, lost out on one of the top two draft picks. Unfortunately, uh, from what I've heard, is that this year's NHL draft features two players by the name of Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel, who are supposedly franchise-changing players. I'm not a big hockey fan. I'm just going by what I've heard. And the Coyotes ended up getting the third pick. Uh, Hopefully, they'll be able to get a player that'll be good for them for, for many years. But it seems like, as typical with sports in the Phoenix area, they missed out on the prize, which is one of these top two guys. Now the Suns, they finished their season at 39-43 and 43 in 10th place in the Western Conference. Of course, only the top eight teams get to the playoffs. The Suns were six games back of New Orleans for that eighth and final playoff spot. Uh, again, it's been five years now that the Suns have been out of the playoffs, and a lot of fans, including myself, are pretty down on the franchise. Well, my guest on this week's podcast is John Bloom. John is the halftime and post-game host on the Phoenix Suns radio broadcasts. We're going to talk a little bit about the Suns, review the season that just ended, and get some insight into the future. So, John, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you being my guest this week. Oh, thanks for having me, Josh. Well, you're actually the first guest on the podcast, so that may be something you need to put on your resume. 
Hopefully, this thing will get a lot bigger and you'll be able to talk about this with a lot of people. I'm inputting it on the resume right now. Uh, this is a huge honor. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I hope to be the first of uh, a star-studded list, I'm sure. Well, sounds good to me. Now, talk to me about your reaction to this past season. A lot of people had a lot of different ways to describe the 2014-15 Suns. I've heard everything from a disaster to a dumpster fire to just plain strange. How would you sum up the Suns' 2014-2015 season? Uh, I think I'd probably go with the, the last one you said, the, the strange uh, description. Um, it was strange in a number of ways because in some aspects there were some good highs uh, and there, there were some good times and there was some optimism uh, that, that was a prevailing feeling at the beginning of the season. And then it returned, uh, you know, around the time where this city was absolutely blowing up with the Super Bowl in town and everything going on. And we had that great home stretch. You had the win over the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James first game back. And you thought, you know what, maybe this team uh, has what it takes to, to accomplish their goal and make the playoffs. And, and then it just kind of fell apart and uh, it fell apart fast. That was the, maybe the strangest part of it, you know, because I was blindsided by Goran Dragic, just as it sounds like a lot of the guys within the, the building were blindsided, too. However, it doesn't sound like that was the case for the coach uh, and for a couple of the other guys who were involved in the decision process once, uh, you know, the trade deadline came around. So uh, then once that happened, I think we all just kind of, fell back in a little bit of a malaise. You had a new guy that you thought might be good in Brandon Knight, but he was blown away by the trade. You could see he was really uh, blindsided himself, and he never got fully comfortable. And then when it looked like he was getting comfortable, he got hurt, and then we didn't get to see him play the rest of the season. So uh, I think right now the the feeling is that of frustration. It's that of uh, disappointment. And I think some of the, the urge to – to, you know, maybe go crazy and panic and say this is just a dumpster fire or a complete failure by the organization is a little premature. The reason I say that is that uh, I just feel like last year was was more of the aberration than this year. Uh, you know, last year you had this perfect storm of guys, uh, you know, coming into to Phoenix and all gelling together and having the best seasons of their lives. You know, all of them together. Now, none of them were right. stars, just as this year none of them were stars. But they had the best year of their lives, and they overperformed, and it was a, a fun ride for all of us, but it overinflated the expectations for this year, and they suffered because of that. I tend to agree with that. Last year, I didn't really think the roster as it was built was a 48-win squad. I thought it was a bit of a fluke. Now, a lot of factors contributed to that, like you said. Chemistry was good. They all played very well together. And one of the biggest things that it seemed that this year's team was missing was that leadership. Uh, Channing Frye, for instance, went to Orlando and signed a contract that I'm sure most Suns fans would agree was for much more than the Suns should have paid him. But how big of a factor was the lack of a veteran leader on this team in what happened this year? I think it was a huge factor. And uh, now, you know, after the fact, we've heard Lon Babby and, and Jeff Hornacek come out and uh, and acknowledge it. And Ryan McDonough, too, that, uh, that that was a missing ingredient and that they maybe undervalued what Channing Frye meant uh, to this team. Now, saying that, 
I don't know if letting Channing Fry go uh, rather than pay him $32 million for four years, which is what the Magic committed to him, is going to be a bad decision long term. I think it was a bad decision for this season. I think we could all see that, that this team really suffered and took a, a significant step backwards because there was nobody in that room that the young players could listen to and say, yeah, this guy's been there before. You know, he, he's done this. we got to listen to this guy because he knows it. And we've got to pay attention to him. And he's earned that right. And, oh, by the way, he's performing at a, at a pretty decent high level still, uh, you know, even though he was kind of into a, a, a little bit of a box being this stretch big man that could shoot threes. I think he was a better defensive player than a lot of people gave him credit for. And I think the one thing that he certainly deserved credit for was being the glue in that room and uh, a solid veteran leader who had been to the playoffs, who had been to the conference finals, who obviously this team and the city meant so much to him too, being uh, a guy who's born and raised here. So there's a lot of aspects that they you know, may or may not be able to bring in in the offseason to replace that void. Uh, I don't think you maybe get it all in one package like Channing Fry had, but maybe you get a little bit something different. Maybe you go get a superstar, and to do that, I think it's probably going to have to come by a trade uh, as opposed to picking somebody up in free agents here, winning the lottery and, and getting open for, for Anthony Towns in, in the first round. Right. Now, aside from getting a superstar, what kind of personnel moves do you think the Suns should make? I think a shooter would be an important addition Outside shooting seemed to be a big hole this year. Obviously, they need a veteran, but overall, what kind of roster moves would you pursue? Yeah, I agree with you on the shooter. Uh, I, I think that they, they do need more of a, a, a post threat as well uh, from a scoring standpoint. Mark Keith has, has made significant strides and, and definitely in a lot of aspects deserves credit for his game. I, I'd like to be able to give him more credit for maturing, uh, you know, both on and off the court, both him and his brother and some of the other players on this team. And that's one of the biggest things. You know, if this team's really going to get better, then the guys that they've put their trust in, the guys they've signed to long-term deals, have to mature. They have to grow up, uh, and part of that process is going to be dealing with the disappointment that, that you know fans are de- dealing with too right now. Uh, I'm not getting into the playoffs, just sitting and watching it again. Part of that process is going to be perhaps having somebody, a veteran, to, to be in their face and make them accountable more than just their coaches in front office can do. Uh, and part of it's just the, the biggest part of it's got to be within. These guys want to have to or have to want it. They have to want it more than just picking up a, an unbelievable paycheck, which they all do, right? I mean, these guys are all getting paid lots of money to play basketball. But the way you're going to have a successful team is having guys who are hungry to go win, hungry to go, you know, bond together, work together, know their roles, uh, you know, stay in their lane, so to speak, and get the job done. Am I describing anybody? Yeah, I'm describing the San Antonio Spurs, who are the epitome of all that. Uh, they're, they're frustrating as all get out for Suns fans because they continue to get it done without superstars, mind you. I know Tim Duncan's probably going to be all NBA and he probably deserves it, but, uh, you know, like it's, it's not, uh, it's not a hidden secret, uh, what it takes to be successful on the basketball court, but it is difficult to find guys that are young, that, that have the talent and skill level that are able to adapt, listen to their coaches and work together. Uh, for the common good, if you will, and trying to win basketball games. That's what the Suns right. need to do. They had it last year more than anybody expected. Uh, now they now they had a, a setback, maybe a sophomore slump, if you want to call it, for the uh, at least the, the regime of, uh, of Brian McDonough and Jeff Hornacek. And then uh, you know maybe uh, maybe one of these or two of these guys really do step up and become emerging stars. 
Uh, I think, like I said before, Josh, I, I do. If, if they are going to get a star, I think it's going to have to come via trade. And uh, I don't know what that trade will look like right now, but I know they're certainly playing through a whole bunch of scenarios right now in the office, and they'll be doing that for the coming months. Well, no doubt they're doing that. Uh, one of the themes you've spoken about, it seems to be leadership and maturity with this team, both on and off the court. That kind of echoes some of the comments that Archie Goodwin made on your postgame show a couple of weeks ago after the Utah game. I was a bit surprised at how candid he was, uh, calling out some of his teammates in some respects and almost throwing Jeff Hornacek under the bus for not really defining players' roles throughout the season. Give me your thoughts on Archie's comments. I was surprised too. Uh, I was also, in some cases, pleased to hear somebody, uh, you know, be that candid and, and say what's on their mind. A lot of times you, you hear these guys, they say that the canned answers and, you know, the, the things that they're trained to do. Archie's not that guy. He's uh, he's his own guy. And clearly he's opinionated. Clearly he is uh, driven. Uh, you know, he is, to me, one of those guys who wants to be great. Uh, but the one thing he's got to learn is when it's appropriate uh, to, to take that tact. And, it might be a little early in his case. You know, here's a guy who's mm-hmm. just now starting to get some minutes because he's had injuries in front of him. Uh, he is still 20, uh, which is just mind-blowing, right, to have a guy finishing his second year. He just finished his second year in the league. He's 20. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's going to be part of his process too. Uh, now, I would like to see what this kid could become. I think he is uh, a very hard worker, and he's improved the, the biggest deficiency in his game, which has been his shot. Uh, it's gotten better. It can still get a lot better, but, uh, you know, again, he's 20. So, uh, you know, if we want to use those excuses for him, I would accept it, and I think it's okay. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, you know, sometimes you have to realize, all right, and I'm sure he did have some conversations after our postgame show with the coach, with the general manager, because we, we talked to them, and they mm-hmm. responded as such. They wanted to have a conversation with him and let him know, you know, it's okay to feel this way, but maybe not okay to say this to everybody uh, when you're 20, because some some people might resent that uh, as opposed to going directly, you know, when, when you have your end-of-season interviews, which they all have, and voicing it to the people who can do something about it. And right now, you know, I, I don't disagree with him about the roles. I think the roster has been – uh, imbalanced. It was severely imbalanced with point guards, and they completely changed that, had injuries, and then it got imbalanced the other way. Uh, you can look at it any direction you want to look at it. There's work that needs to be done on this roster. However, that being said, uh, there's a lot of young pieces. There's still some, some parts that could be moved, uh, you know, in, in a collection to bring in a bigger part. Uh, there's a lot of uh, options, and there's a young, talented front office to make those decisions. And even though this year was a setback, as I mentioned, uh, like it's, we're a year removed from everybody praising the jobs that Ryan McDonough and Jeff Hornacek did last year. They're not different people. They just didn't have as much success this year. And now you hope that the tables kind of turn again for next year. So you've had a front row seat for at least all of the home games this year. You're obviously a lot closer to the action than I've been. Based on what you've seen, do you think that Jeff Hornacek given the roster limitations, did a good job this year. Obviously, as a second-year coach, he has a lot of room for improvement. But what do you think about him as far as his performance this year and his future as a head coach in the NBA? 
Uh, I, I like Jeff a lot. Uh, I think that this is going to be uh, a big year for him, too. You know, I mentioned how the team needs to bounce back and needs to fill some voids uh, and bring in some things that they're missing. Uh, but I also think that Jeff needs to learn from what went down this year and find a way to, you know, eliminate some of the issues he had to deal with, such as the technical fouls. And I know he tried a, a kind of unique uh, way to, to go about fixing that with, with benching guys. That didn't seem to work. Uh, so he has to figure it out, too. You know, look, uh, as much as we want to call the team young, we got a young coaching staff, too. And Jeff is, is part of that. You know, this was his second year as a head coach, and he took a step back. I anticipate him working very hard to correct some of the mistakes that uh, that we saw transpire under his watch, whether you want to completely, uh, you know, blame him for it or not. Yeah, there's a lot of crap that happened this year. Can I say crap the podcast? Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah there's, a, there's a lot of crap that went down, you know, from Marcus Morris cursing him out on the sidelines to all the technical fouls to, you know, a number of other things that popped up, Archie Goodwin, whatever you want to say, Gerald Green wondering about his playing time and having fans, you know, in an uprising of sorts saying why isn't Gerald playing and Jeff having to balance that, balance getting the young guys into the game, uh, dealing with without the, the big man that, uh, you know, that played so well during stretches of the season but also somehow finds a way to get a bizarre injury about once a month. Uh, you know, so these are all kind of the things that, that, uh, he dealt with. Now, do I think he did a masterful job this year? No, I don't. I think there were things that I'm sure he, if he could do again, he would do differently. But like I said, you know, I am going to give him a pass here. This is his second year. He had an amazing first year that nobody anticipated that set the bar so high, unrealistically so. And, uh, now this next season, this can be one that he will be, uh, and rightfully so, under the microscope. People are going to pay attention to how the Suns do in year three under Jeff Hornacek, and, uh, and he's going to own it. Now, you mentioned the technical fouls. Uh, the team as a whole was number three in team technicals this year. Markeith Morris was number two in individual technicals, and the Suns had, I believe, four players in the top 15 in individual technical fouls. Do you put the blame for that on immaturity? Or is it coaching, leadership? Where's the blame for the lack of discipline this team displayed on the court? Uh, I think I've spread it around a little bit. I put some on the coaches. I put some on uh, the lack of leadership from the locker room. Again, you know, I thought P.J. Tucker might have been that guy, and then he went and had the episode with the drunk driving in the offseason, had a couple other things happen, missed a bus. When you do those things and you're not like a front-line star – then, no, you're not going to be the guy that everybody looks to for that advice. Right. So the team really doesn't have that. They don't. That's a huge void. Go look at all eight teams that are going to make the playoffs on both sides, and I guarantee every single one of them you could pick out who's a veteran leader, who's a guy on this team that's been there and that can help the young guys grow up and know what it takes, know what it takes to be successful at this level, the highest level of basketball in the world. So – that's it. That to me, you know, it sounds like a crutch that you're going to go back and blame things like that. Well, how would that be an issue for technical fouls? I think it is because it's one thing for a coach to continue to yell at you and yell at you. And you, you're a dad. You know what I'm talking about. When you keep saying the same thing over and over to your kids, uh, you know, they tune you out. Well, your kids are going to do that. You think the players making millions of dollars are going to tune out a coach making millions of dollars? You better believe they're going to. Uh, so you got to have another guy who's been there and be like, listen, this isn't how you do it. This is not the way you're going to win basketball games. This is not the way you're going to make bigger paychecks. 
in your career, which, by the way, you'll do. If you're a good player on a good team that wins basketball games, that's going to be a win-win. And you need a guy who's in that room to be able to tell these guys. And unfortunately for the Suns, they don't have that, and what they do have is a whole lot of youth. And just as I've told a couple people uh, over the course of the last maybe few weeks, you wouldn't expect a four-year-old to read, write, and do arithmetic. You just wouldn't expect it. And you wouldn't expect a bunch of 20, 22, 23, 24-year-olds to go out and be one of the top teams in one of the best conferences in the history of sports. And yet, somehow, they found a way to at least stay in the mix until the last couple weeks of the season, which that, to me, is is a little bit surprising when you look at what they were up against. Right. Now, one last point I wanted to bring up is a look ahead to the future, next year and beyond. There are a few young players that you may be able to build around. Uh, Alex Len, you mentioned his injuries. He may be a good player if he can stay on the court. Archie Goodwin is uh, one. I think if he continues to mature, he can be a good player in the league. But, of course, you have your two core backcourt guys. uh, Eric Bledsoe, who was signed to the long-term deal before the season, and Brandon Knight. Now, do you think that these guys are two that you can build around for the future? And is Knight even going to remain in Phoenix as a restricted free agent? Where do you see the team going? You know, at this point, uh, and I, again, I've referenced it a couple times with you, I, I don't have any knowledge as far as what Ryan McDonough and, and Trevor Buckstein and the whole staff in the front office are thinking of doing, you know, what moves they're going to make, what moves they would like to make. I can just tell you what I like uh, and, and what I think might have to happen for this team to, to take the next jump, uh, and that would be to potentially package Eric Bledsoe uh, in a deal. Uh, I would like to give Brandon Knight the reins to this team quicker than I'd like to give it to Eric Bledsoe. I feel like I saw uh, a good amount of Eric Bledsoe. I saw some spectacular. I saw some athletic, uh, you know, virtuosity, if you will, from Eric Bledsoe. I didn't see a shred of leadership, and I didn't see a lot of the aspects that I want to have in a point guard. Uh, which to me is is usually a de facto leader on a basketball team no matter what, right? I mean, it's just the right. nature of, the, of the, the way the game's played, like a quarterback on the football field. So, uh, you know, that that's why if it was me, I would see it, you signed a guy to a big deal, but it's not a, a, an atrocious deal by any stretch. Nobody, even after this year, uh, believes that. So you think right. you still have a guy with when the when – the, um, uh, the salary cap moves up next year as it's anticipated to will be even more reasonable at, uh, you know, the 13, 14 million a year. Uh, I think he has the value still to where you might be able to, to lure a star if you package him with some other players. Uh, so to me, I would, I would be more apt to say, Brandon Knight, you're my point guard moving forward than I would to say Eric Bledsoe. If they re-sign Brandon Knight and keep Eric Bledsoe, then I think we may end up going down a similar road. Maybe not the same road with how they completely, you know, shuffled the deck at the trade deadline this year, but they may find that, you know, look, this isn't working the way we want it to work. Uh, we're going to have to go get somebody that's dynamic, that's different, uh, that's not, you know, playing the same position, even though I know it doesn't matter, and you can play two talented point guards, and I believe you can and be successful with it. I just think this team needs some other stuff that, uh, you know, you might be able to use one of these guys as a piece. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know how much Brandon Knight's going to demand 
on the open market. We might go through a similar process that we did last summer, which was, I know, laborious and, and uh, painful for a lot of Suns fans, and, and for the Suns, too, it was. Uh, I hope that's not the case. I hope they can figure out the direction one way or another and do it quickly uh, so it's clean and so they can, you know, move on to what their next objectives are, whether it's also resigning Brandon Wright, who I thought showed a lot of good things that he's uh, capable of doing, not just for this team, but watching him, you know, in the last couple of years. Uh, but at the same time, he might have a pretty high price tag too. So, uh, you know, what else are you going to do? And and I I would love to see the lot the, the ping pong balls go the Suns' way, uh, you know, and and see them somehow jump into that top two and get one of those stars. Uh, but obviously the odds are not in their favor. So at number 13 or number 12, if they happen to move up a spot, what is uh, what is it going to be there? I don't know. I mean, could they get Frank the Tank, get Frank Kaminsky in here? Could he be an impact player? Uh, maybe they probably change their scheme a little bit uh, if he if he's around, and that seems like right around the area. Guy, that would hurt me every night. You don't want that. that. No, you don't want any <laughs> no, part no. of that. You'd rather see Rondé Hollis Jefferson or uh, Brandon Ashley or one of those fellas uh, come here. I know, uh, but you know, I mean, I'm I'm looking at how how can this right. team get the the pieces in place that can really help them. And uh, I just keep going back to I think it's going to come in a trade. I don't think Kevin Love's going to come here. Uh, I don't think you know you can't you can't be looking at the free agent list and have the pie in the sky uh, thing in your head thinking they're going to get a Marcus Sewell, a Marcus Aldridge, a Jimmy Butler, one of those guys. I just don't see that happening. So uh, what can you use to to make a swap? Well, maybe one of these point guards. And I guess, you know, they're going to have to make their decision on which one they want to build around. They gave Eric Bledsoe the keys this year. Maybe it didn't work out the way they, they wanted it to, although he wasn't horrible. But, uh, you know, they, they maybe learned more about him like I did. But the thing that really ticked me off, I'm going to tell it to you, and, I, and I'm glad that uh, I can have a platform to say this. I did say it on the postgame show, but in a different manner when it happened. Mm-hmm. But in December when the Suns were playing a game against the Pistons, and there was a, a guy sitting behind me in a Pistons jersey, giving Eric Bledsoe the business with two minutes left to go in a tie game. And Bledsoe, instead of going into the huddle and, and you know diagramming the play with his coaches and getting ready for the last two minutes to try to beat a team that they should have beat handily at home, is drawing at the fan, you know, MF and M tell him, you know, to do something to himself and that whole bit. And then instead of getting back in the huddle, he goes and gets a security guard and tells him to go get this fan out of there because the fan told him he didn't think he was worth the money. He's overpaid. Wasn't cursing at him or anything, just calling oh, him wow. out, you know. And, uh, and, and the fan did not get thrown out. He shouldn't have. Uh, and Eric Bledsoe, to me, told me a lot about himself with that episode. That's not the way a point guard on my team should be behaving with two minutes any time in a, in a game, right? Uh, right? This guy's meaningless in this Pistons jersey. He shouldn't mean anything. And I know it's part of the maturing process. It's part of maturation. There's no doubt. And maybe he can get over that and become a more focused player. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I just feel like I learned what I needed to learn. And, uh, you know, it might be a situation where he's going to be here the next five years as the point guard of this basketball team, and we'll be able to see, you know, if he grows up in front of our eyes. I hope that's the case if he is. Uh, if not, and they are able to turn him into a, a, a player that they can build around that can help their future, then I'm all for it. Whatever they do, it's going to be an interesting offseason for sure. They've got the draft coming up. Hopefully we'll see some action in free agency, or as you mentioned, John, the trade market but they've got a lot of work ahead of them, and it's going to be a very interesting summer that may shape the future of the Suns franchise. I don't want to take up any more of your time, John. I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast this week, 
and hopefully we'll be talking about a much more successful season this time next year. I hope so. You know, I do think that there are a lot of things in place uh, that could allow for, um, you know, somewhat of a bounce-back season. I'm not going to come out and say this is a 50-win team next year. There's obviously not a lot of substantiation for me to be able to, uh, you know, or information for me to substantiate that on. But uh, I can tell you that, uh, you know, being part of this franchise is, is a dream come true for me. I love Suns basketball. I have since I was 13 years old growing up in the Bay Area. And uh, it, it's really cool to be a part of it now, as, as I am. And uh, I look forward to next year. I, I do have faith in Ryan McDonough and this staff and Jeff Hornacek. I think Suns fans should too, even as frustrating as we might be, uh, frustrated as we might feel right now after a 39-win season. All right. Well, thanks for the time, John. And again, I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Uh, anytime, right, Josh. Look forward to catching up soon. Well, it's a lot of interesting insight there from John. I want to thank him again for being my guest on the podcast. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you'd like to leave a message for the podcast to be played on a future edition, you can call me at 480-427-0411 and leave a message. You can reach me on Twitter at AZJoshM, or you can email me, announceraz at cox.net. So, thanks again for listening. And have a great week.